Welcome to another episode of Cine Nation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And here on Cine Nation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and the stories within them. And we're starting out the month in a very unique way because Thomas is not here for this first episode. Uh, but we do have David Glenn IV returning. I mean, I need to just change it up to where you can introduce yourself <laughs> from now on. I feel like we're at I feel like we're at that point where you've you've been enough appearances, you can you can be a part of the intro. Um but you're here this yeah. month and we're talking about a, a, a genre that I think you know very well. Well, it's just it it's kind of the two my two loves, you know, cinema and, and rock music. So and, and rock music. But yeah, before we dive into we're talking about concert films this month. Uh, before we dive into that, backtrack a little bit. Last week we talked about holiday horror. If you haven't listened to that episode, please go check it out. And it's the new year. And if you didn't give us a review at the, at the end of the year, is like a happy new year to us. Do it at the, be- at the beginning of this year. Give us a review if you can. Um, and go check check out our Patreon that you listed that we did last month. We did a kind of end of the year episode just came out last week. Um, Dave and I we talked about Love Actually, um, which I know you thoroughly yeah, loved. Yeah, it, it was amazing. Put a, five stars on Letterboxd. Yeah, for sure. Uh, no, go check it out. Um, but that's that's happening over there. As I said, but th- it's New Year, New Month, and we're talking about concert films. And David, I think it's kind of a perfect choice to, to to bring on here. As David was saying, it's two loves, two of his loves. But I know David, you've been watching, yeah, a lot of concert films. Well, I like watching them at work because we, you know, uh, I can just kind of throw. Don't it on. say, don't, don't say that. <laughs> you want to put that out there? <laughs> I do, I do. It's fun. It's fun to because uh, you know yeah. I can watch them, and uh, it's not like I, it's not like something I have to pay full blown attention to, you know. Um, yeah. yeah, but you've been watching on Larrybox. No. It's like what was like today was like Black Sabbath or yeah, whatever. Yeah, I watched live in Paris, which it, it wasn't actually in Paris. They just because uh, it was bootlegged so much that it became like a legend that it was shot in Paris. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, no, I, I love okay. that. I love that a lot. But no, I uh, I've been doing a lot of research of uh, especially the hardcore punk scene in uh, in mm. LA because I'm working on a like a, a script that takes place in that time frame. So uh, yeah. during that era, so I've been doing a lot of research there. Kind of the move- movements immediately after it. You know the the punk. Yeah. wave that kind of led to the hardcore punk wave in LA. So mm. I've been doing a lot of research into that. So that's been the main, the main focus. And then also just bands I love. <laughs> yeah. And and so when you're kind of talking about too, it, it's with this kind of idea of concert films and how you're kind of talking about it. It's like, there is this interesting, there's blurred lines when it comes to a concert film and a music documentary. Absolutely. Um, but the question I have to begin with is that, what do you think of when you think of a concert film? Like a specific like the, example, or just like a just like, yeah, yeah, like, wait, well, like when, when someone says concert film, mm-hmm. what's kind of the first thing you think of? What's kind of the tropes? What movies sure. are you thinking of? Things like that. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think it's a kind of a vague genre, but I don't think that's mm-hmm. a bad thing. I mean, I think it's an umbrella term, so you could fit a lot of things into it. And I think there's like a few different avenues a concert film can go down. So it could either be a pure concert. Yeah. Like, for example, yeah. the movie we're talking about today, to, uh, it's not making sense. Or it could be something that's more of a more has a documentary bent. So it'll have like interviews with a band, um, mm-hmm. things like that. Or maybe they're trying to talk about a bigger, you know, bigger piece of the of the movement that 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 concert was involved in or that that festival was involved yeah. in, uh, you know, for example, uh, Monterey Pop or, uh, you know, Woodstock or something. Woodstock. Yeah. 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 Um, and then there's something like maybe Give Me Shelter, which, you know, started as like the initial concept of Give Me Shelter was, oh, we're going to film this, con- you know, this concert, this free concert, this concert. that the Stones were putting yeah. on with the Grateful Dead and a few other acts. And, uh, you know, but then a horrible thing happened, you know, a tragedy happened. Uh, and that kind of that that became the focus of the doc- or what it was building to, essentially. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, that moment in there when he watches it, when Mick Jagger watched that footage, I mean, that's one of the most haunting things I've ever seen. Like just his reaction yeah. to that, like it's brutal, man. Uh, yeah. 
And for those who don't know, Gimme Shelter yeah. is about it's it's a documentary that directed by the Maisels uh, brothers, and it was as it was supposed to be a documentary about this concert in Altamont, California. It was basically, or it was Altamont. It was it was it was the West Coast version of Woodstock. Mm-hmm. Was kind of what it was portrayed as. And the Maisels were going to film, and the Rolling Stones were the headliners, and the Rolling Stones were like, we want to do our versions of, of Woodstock here at, at Altamont Speedway. And a uh, a concert goer was killed mm-hmm. at the and the final kind of the Rolling Stones um, uh, performance at Altamont. And so the doc became kind of a interesting, like, it's still a concert film. It's a documentary about the Stones. And like, because I think they're recording... Cause like, I think they go down to Alabama and do like uh yeah there's some recording uh, studio and Muscle it. Shoals yeah. but there's also this like uh, almost like a transitioning of of the uh, a transition period in some way where like the hippie movement and the the peace and love like right. Altamont is kind of seen as like the end of that no, you know, yeah, or one of the, ended, one of yeah. the thing one of the pinpoint one of the kind of points of time that like it's the end of that if it's mm-hmm. you know, also like the Sharon Tate stuff that the Tarantino doesn't want to spot on Hollywood. But like that, it's like you go from Woodstock to Altamont. It's, it's seen as night and day, but the irony is that more people died at Woodstock than they did at Altamont. But that's a whole other, um, <laughs> thing. other rant. But that's yeah, but that's give me shelter. But then you said that like Woodstock, it's again this kind of period yeah. in time. Mari Pop is a period in time of multiple artists. Sometimes you have those multiple mm-hmm. artist bands where it's a festival, or you have something like like today's movie um would stop making sense or or there's also like uh, uh concert docs that or sorry concert films that will try yeah. to tell a story like outside of it yeah so they'll like cut to like scenes so there's like the metallica one um mm-hmm. with the dane DeHaan plays like this uh this like rebel guy he's like going through the city trying to get he's a roadie oh, he's a roadie but he's trying to get something for metallica i can't remember what it was and then there's also like the uh led zeppelin song remains the same which i wouldn't necessarily mm-hmm. call the cutaways like a story but they like fantasy well they're each like an individual yeah. vignette it's like fantasy sequences which i mean they're you know their lyrics and their songs kind of evoke that so it, yeah. it makes sense but it's also just yeah. like is that you know it's not that's not what like a pure concert film is which is the, the concert um but you do yeah. get to well, see a, a lot of the the concert footage as well yeah but that's an interesting thing to bring out because i think uh I ha- we hope uh, the plans we'll talk about this at some point either on a patreon or in the main episode but with prince's sign of the times i know there are like cutaway kind of fantasy sequences within mm-hmm. the concert film um, that he's doing. Um, and yeah, then you have talking about like the, the mix of like concert film and concert doc. It's like a, a movie I think of is a uh, hell, hell rock and roll with Chuck Berry, where that is a, a documentary about Chuck Berry's like 60th birthday and they're doing a concert. And the whole conceit of it is that Keith Richards is the band leader and Keith Richards is putting together a band for Chuck Berry to play with and rehearse with because Chuck Berry basically he would do when he was on, when he was in concert in the early years and everything. And even I think till his death, he would just show up in a town and whoever was there to play with him, he played with <laughs> and they just, they just had to know his songs. And so Richard was like, I want to give him a proper band to celebrate how good he is. And so the whole can see it is that they're leading up to his 60th birthday they're gonna do two nights or whatever in st louis's hometown and it's gonna be it's like clapton and robert cray and and um keith richards is kind of the, the band leader and then i think you have other etta james shows up so it's always people kind of celebrating chuck berry but in, her, in a cut with that is um seeing him 
and him telling his kind of life story is mm-hmm. the thing. So you have that where it's like, it's kind of a biopic, but it's done in a concert film type way is the thing. So it's, it's something that you can, I think right now we've had this interesting kind of moment of, again, rock music docs that could be concert films or just music docs. If it's like Lady Gaga had kind of hers or uh, Katy Perry had hers mm-hmm. or, you know, this is more of a, I think a music documentary, but Selena Gomez just had hers where it's like blurring the lines of they're preparing for some sort of concert, but it's the, the filmmakers is interested in more of the personal struggle or life right. of the person. Um, I think with us, with all these we're talking about, we're trying to focus more on the pure music side uh, of it all. And I think a lot of the other stuff, if it's the kind of the period of time or the performer's kind of backstory, and that's all going to be like subtext of the concert film in a way. I think like the last waltz, when we talk about that. I think those interviews are kind of the subtext of what's going on at that. Makes, oh yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but with today's movie, um, with stop making sense is that this is a movie that I think is probably the purest concert film. And by that, I mean, it's like solely about the performances happening in front of us. Right. Right. And there's no other outs, literally no other outside, um, forces coming into play. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how, and that's also even how, how Jonathan Demme, the director shoots it is the thing. Absolutely. And we'll talk yeah, more yeah. about that as we go. Um, but Stop Making Sense was released in 1984. Um, it was directed by Jonathan Demme, who would later become famous for directing uh, Silence of the Lambs, something Philadelphia, wild. Something Wild, um, Rachel Getting Married, which I really love. I haven't seen um, that. Oh, oh, I, did, yeah. I did just add that to my watch list. But uh, something funny, I've been, you know, I'm, at night sometimes I'll put stuff on Pluto TV and they just keep playing yep. something wild for some reason. So uh, on three separate nights, I have woken up to the credits of her singing wild thing the, the lady singing wild thing three separate nights i woke it up to that <laughs> that's what wakes you up apparently yeah, is, yeah. Is them not, not the violence at the end of the movie it's uh, her singing no wild. no wild thing <laughs> um so yeah so demi uh directed this uh it was produced by uh gary goatsman mm-hmm. uh gary goatsman who was i i apologize that butchering the name but i'm Goatsman is how I'm reading it. Um, uh, he was Demi's producer, and then he became he's Tom Hanks's producer uh, with Playtone, and has I think he's been Hanks's producer ever since that thing you do, which was also produced by Jonathan Demi as well. Um, he produced it. It's cinematography is by Jordan Cronin with with who shot Blade Runner. I mean, shot Blade Runner, um, Altered States, yeah. Uh, Really, uh, Bruce McCloud plays it lays like, and his son is you know Fincher's big, uh, DP, yeah, or his, his, I shot his a lot son, of Fincher's. Yeah, his son is um, Jeff David Cron- uh, Jeff. Jeff, thank Jeff you, Cronworth, yeah. David. yeah, Jeff Cronworth, who's all Fincher stuff, a lot of Fincher stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and so so it's shot beautifully. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and I really like the way fa- he uses light, uh, Cronin with yes. this, yeah, which we can yes. get into later. But yeah, we'll talk we'll talk as we go yeah. um, about that, but um. It's and then of course it stars the Talking Heads, yeah, <laughs> um, who are a, I mean, rock band, new wave, rock band, post punk art. It's it's everyone kind of compares it with certain areas of like how it, they said how it's like it's white pop punk in a way, but then it has like. <laughs> 
black funk mixed with it is what they're kind of talking so, about with this instant so yeah like the new wave bands i mean that's such a, that's also a very big umbrella term because i mean you, yeah. you can listen to like two different new wave bands and completely different sounds but what i appreciate yes. what i've always appreciated about new wave bands is because they kind of took that so everything at this time period was kind of rebelling against like the mm-hmm. the big music industry at the time like what what, what yes. was becoming the commercial uh, music industry of the 80s mm-hmm. um and so they took that kind of punk attitude but they made it like a more refined sound and like they played with different styles. It wasn't like they weren't, they didn't have that necessarily that energy, mm-hmm. but they did take that attitude and made something different. You know, the new wave bands did. So I, I've always respected that they took that at you know, that attitude. Yeah. And it's interesting when we're talking about um, talking heads with this, because they coming out of New York when they, when they kind of came out, it's like they're coming out of a, uh, a punk scene oh at absolutely that point. yeah no there, there i mean there, like, there was a hardcore punk scene in new york as well around the same time so and yeah. like and, and actually will come into play as i'm telling the story about them it's that they like start off in new york cbgb's mm-hmm. like when all these iggy pop ramones all these kind of people coming stooges um with iggy pop it's like all these people kind of coming up at that point and when i think of talking heads i don't think of of <laughs> punk rock of that period is the thing so it's kind of interesting to see them in that same kind of community yeah. at that point in a way um well i mean there was just a lot going on in new york at the time musically you know yeah uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, i don't think it was necessary it wasn't only about rebelling against that it was also just rebelling against what was going on in new york at the time too you know yes yeah. pre-chiliani new york is what, is what i say <laughs> um well it's at that point it's getting if this is coming out 84 yeah. well as we talk about uh, talking heads when they're coming up mm-hmm. they're coming up in like mid 70s right. so like you're thinking Scorsese taxi driver yeah, in New York yeah. is kind of the kind of the thing. Um so it's a, it's a very different different period. Um, you, were you a big fan of Talking Heads before you watched this the first time for the first time? Uh no. So here's the Talking Heads. I, I I don't know enough I've I've grown to appreciate them more and listen to more of their music. Um with Talking Heads, brief story. First song I ever got introduced to them, this is a weird story that I can somehow remember this is hearing burning down the house mm-hmm. is the song that I was introduced introduced to first. I remember it spe- vividly because it was in a movie that I watched in school um called Pirates of Silicon Valley about Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and Anthony Michael Hall plays uh Bill Gates and Noah Wilde from ER and that librarian series you know, like TNN or whatever TNT oh, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah um he he plays steve jobs no way and at one part they're playing burning down the house by talking it's like, oh, this is a really good song and it's like kind of the the re i don't know if it's reoccurring but it's like it, it comes like a pivotal moment i think in the movie is burning down the house is played and i'm like who, who are these people and that's my introduction to talking heads. I was, <laughs> I was in like high school and I think I was watching it like computer class is yeah. what it was. It was like, it was like one of those days, like we're going to watch pirates of Silicon Valley. And so literally that has stuck with me and I don't know why. Um, I have a similar thing. So my dad would quote, okay. my dad would quote once in a lifetime all the time, like the beginning oh, really? lyrics of that, but I never knew what he, what the hell he was talking about. Cause uh-huh. he wouldn't do it in like Burns voice. He would just say it. Like, yeah. And so, and then, you know, cut to like whenever, whenever this movie came out, a hot tub time machine, I'm watching hot tub time machine. And at the end it's that, you know, it's the song, you know, what's a lifetime. And I was like, it yeah. just clicked for me. I was like, that's what he's been quoting all these years. <laughs> 
And that song has yeah. been in a lot oh, of a different lot of movies, movies is yeah. the thing. Yeah. Um, but for some reason it like, clicked, you know, because it's that montage and it's like very yes. much on, you know, on the nose of of what what, yes. what John Cusack's character is going through in that point. But uh, yeah. But it's it's kind of, yeah, it's insane how you can't come into a music or a band or a musician yeah. sometimes with these weird kind of things. But yeah, so my first time seeing this movie, because um, I only seen it once before we did this episode and they were doing a midnight at the new art. Oh, no way. Actually. And I was like, I need to watch this because I think we we're going through Edgar Wright's thousand favorite movies and that's on the list. Um, I said, like, oh, I should see because I hear it's, like, it's one of the greatest concert films of all time. It's perfect to see it like in the theater. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I'm kind of really introduced to like talking heads as a band. And I remember a friend of mine went with me to it and like 20 minutes in, and I think it's during um it might be during slippery people whenever he's doing like the jogging around yeah yeah, yeah. It's, your, it's slippery people are found a job and i'm just saying to myself wow this is just an electric movie it's so exciting like it's like you want to just get up and dance and my buddy leans me goes hey man i gotta go i'm just like i'm falling asleep and i was like what? how <laughs> i was like how i know it's midnight but how yeah like he's like yeah i'm, I'm just I can't, I can't keep my eyes awake i was like this movie is loud and it's I think visually stunning and I like I don't know how you're falling asleep 15 minutes into this movie but okay go home and then he he left and like <laughs> 20 minutes in the movie and I stayed and I watched I watched this film and I was just floored I think this this and Prince's Sign of the Times are two of the most like energetic films I've seen. Mm-hmm. It's like there's so much happening that you kind of can't help but like want to get up and yeah, well, and dance if you want to. And I to. think I think if if a con if a concert film if that's their main goal is to be a con yeah because it's impossible to capture going to a concert on film. I feel like, but if you can if you yes. can capture the energy of the band, I think you're successful. And I think yes. this film is very successful in that. Yes, and we'll talk as we keep going with that. But that, that I love how they're able to. I think I think David Byrne or someone said like, it, it's it was supposed to be a character driven film. Right. It's a concert film, but it's a character driven film. And when you watch it, Demi does a really fantastic job of introducing it, it, Demi and also the band because because we'll go into that later. But like they do a good job of introducing everyone. Like story wise, the band is really good at introducing each person. Demi visually is really good at introducing each person mm-hmm. where. They all kind of get their entrance in some way, um, but it's all a part of the story of the concert. And that's the thing that I'm, I think that sets apart because I didn't grow up going to concerts a lot. And this will, this like this, will, we can talk about this too. I think, did you grow up going to concerts, concerts a lot or uh, were you? I, I mean, I, I guess relative. I, so as in high school, I went to a lot of music festivals. Uh, yeah. and, and in college, but growing up though, I mean, I went to a few because uh, you know we had Rupp Arena, so we you know it was always yeah. it wasn't people I wanted to see, you know it was like Taylor Swift <laughs> or Justin Bieber. I mean, he would sell it out, you know. I'm not knocking him; he would sell out yeah. Rupp Arena, but I'm not, you know, that's not for me. So I mean, my first concert, uh, shouldn't admit this on the podcast, was Nickelback. So that that tells you. <laughs> I mean, uh, my second concert, my first concert was Brian White, who was a country country star at the time. My second concert was Backstreet Boys, so take what you will um, uh, with that. Uh, my third concert, I believe, was the American Idol tour. So there you go. <laughs> so, so with concerts, it's like I, 
I'm I'm growing to appreciate like the thought process that goes into making a concert because I think sometimes again it's it's my ignorance of the concert format of like you just go up and play songs like there's nothing to it but you learn there really is like like anything you have to have a structure right to like how you play something oh and i think most where and i think most bands take that like their set list very seriously you know when they're when they're designing uh you know what what they're gonna play that night i think they take that very seriously because like i I remember reading it was in shine a light the scorsese one that he did on the the stones Mm mm-hmm and and Jagger has like just sheets of like the set list. He goes, yeah, here's we try to change it up. So here's like our big our big hits, and here's kind of the middle hits, and here's the one that no one really knows. We love playing, um, and we try to include kind of versions of this throughout, and we try to change it up all the time. And you and I remember when I saw Elton John recently. It's like I could tell where he was going because like, okay, you want to you you want to end on a high. And come down for the curtain call a little bit and have a more emotional mm-hmm. kind of moment for your curtain call. Cause like I we I think the last three songs of his like main part before the curtain for the encore was like Crocodile Rock and Saturday, Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting and another kind of fast song. I was like, well, you can't slow down now. Yeah. Like yeah. you just have to keep going. Get that up momentum. Until you and then you come down, you come down for the uh for the encore, and then you have your emotional goodbye yellow brick road to end the whole concert. Right. And you and you and then you're home. You're going home. Well, I mean, like, you got somebody like Elton John or Rolling Stones too. They have so many songs. Like especially so the Rolling songs. Stones, they have hundreds of songs. Like, oh, how do you yeah. decide what you're gonna, you know, play? Because like to them, it's like they have songs they love that no one cares about, right? But they want to play. Yeah. Um, and it's it's the same with any type. Paul McCartney's that way. It's like yeah, you can't you can't just play the whole Beatles discography, but you have to play some. Yeah, and you can play Wings, and you have to play solo stuff, and you have to play new stuff. So it's like you have to do a mix. And so you really have to design it well. And again, when watching even just like say Selena Gomez's recent documentary about like her really trying to say something with her concert and that comes into play. Well, I'm bringing up here is because with Talking Heads, I think Talking Heads and specifically David Byrne, they're trying to say something mm-hmm. about their band and about their perspective on music and about culture in some way. And it's not just a concert film with songs being played. Right. You can tell it's this retrospective on who the talking heads are and what they kind of stand for at the end of the day. Um, But I I talked, so anyway, that was kind of a tangent, but still goes on top of what we're talking about. But I talked about when I first saw it, do you have a history of this movie? Like when you first saw it or... No, I mean, and that's the thing. It's like, I don't, I mean, I, to call myself a fan of a band, I feel like I have to listen to them regularly. Um, but that being yeah, said, I, I mean, I, I do. I agree I, with you. Yeah, but I do love a lot of their songs. And Listening Wind was on my top 100 Spotify songs this year. Granted, it's in my like new wave sad boy playlist that <laughs> I throw on sometimes. Right. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. so like, I mean, I don't, I didn't know, I, I don't know a lot about the Talking Heads, you know, prior to this. Um, I, but watching it, I'm like, oh yeah, I, I do love a lot of these songs. Um, they're just not yeah. in my regular rotation, if that makes sense. Um, and no, I hadn't seen this. I'd heard of it, obviously, um, but I hadn't mm-hmm. seen it uh, until we we watched it for this. So I, I've watched it twice now, and uh, yeah, I think I think it I, even I, I gave it five stars both times. But even on second watch, I was like, wow. I mean, you know, it it really it really uh, impacts you. It does, it does, and you kind of don't realize it of like how. Like I wanted to get up time, and dance, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The first time you're just kind of like you're it's like being hit by a wave is kind of the thing. And you're not really seeing what's really fully going on yet. And that second time is when you kind of notice of like 
what they're doing right and a storytelling element but also what demi's doing visually demi and chronoworth are doing visually mm-hmm. is the thing um and we'll talk about that kind of when we go into favorite scenes before we dive into favorite scenes let's go into kind of the history a little bit of how this movie gets to production but also a history of talking heads and kind of how they come to be because as i as i said stop making sense is kind of a little bit of a fictionalized version of how the talking heads get together i'll, I'll we'll talk about that later but mm-hmm. like of how they're all introduced in the in the in the movie right um so yeah so with that um some would say talking heads or stop making sense is more of a musical about talking heads than the talking heads only performing music so with that we have to talk about how they were formed and it all begins in rhode island <laughs> Smallest state in the union. Uh, after attending Rhode Island School of Design for a few years, and before dropping out of school entirely, after he went to school in kind of Maryland for design school as well, Scottish-born musician David Byrne starred a band with his Rhode Island classmate Chris France, and the band was called the Artistics, and they would only last for a year. Um, like so many bands. <laughs> like so many bands. And David would then move to New York uh, in 1974, um, I think in the summer of 1974, and then a few months later, Chris and his girlfriend Tina Weymouth, Weymouth would join him, would jo- join David in New York. Um, Chris and David wanted to play music together again, but they were trying to put together a band. But they couldn't find a bass player, so Tina would learn how to play bass to join this possible band they're talking about making. Um, and finally, a year after, uh, a close to a year. Or a few, or at least, like, yeah, a year after they moved to New York, they officially become a band, and their first gig, um, came on June fifth, nineteen seventy five. I'm gonna say this again: their first gig came on June fifth, nineteen seventy five, at the famous New York City music club CBGBs, where they opened for the Ramones. No way! As their first gig, must have been a hell of a show, man. Yeah. Um. They were still working their day jobs at the time when they did this, um, as you do. Um, <laughs> and they would be, and, and again, this type band opening for the remotes. Right, right, um, right. And, and, and CBGB's is kind of, it's kind of like, I mean, dirty, grimy music club. I don't know if it was as dirty and grimy as it was, because uh, it opened in 73, so it wasn't grimy and dirty yet, but it would get that way pretty quickly. Um, and this trio would begin kind of working together for a year. And one of the first songs they worked on their early beginnings was a song called psycho killer. Mm. And this group now called the talking heads performed the song on stage as early as late 1975, but it would not be recorded or released until 1977 on their debut album, talking head 77. Now, finally in 1976, the trio would be able to perform. They began to perform music full time after being signed by Sire Records, Sire Records, um, they had a lot of trouble trying to get a record deal. Um, they recorded multiple demos and were rejected by CBS Records before finally signing a deal with Sire. But they also were almost signed. They almost signed with Lou Reed. Oh no! At way. one point, and kind of his people, uh, and they were close to making the deal until they had a friend look over the contract and they told him, "Do not sign this de- deal because Lou Reed and his company were going to own." 100% of this music that the Talking Heads made. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we're not doing that. And they went to Sire. 
Um, around this time, the trio was joined by Jerry Harrison, uh, a talented musician who could play keyboard and guitar. And that was, I guess, the the position they were lacking because Tina would play bass and Chris would play drums, but they had no keyboardist or guitarist. And so Jerry filled in that, uh, that, that void. Yeah. Um, before joining the Talking Heads, Harrison played with the popular proto-punk band The Modern Lovers for a few years. Um, Harrison was initially hesitant to join the band after seeing them play live. Um, they, they saw him watching them one night when they were, when he was contemplating joining the band and he looked disappointed, uh, by their performance and he would not talk to them after they played until the next day when he said he didn't think they were good, Oh, but he was, he was intrigued by them and he decided to jam with them to see if they actually had chemistry and soon he would join the band. Uh, Talking Heads would then release their debut album in September 1977. Their biggest charting hit was Psycho Killer, but it only reached 92 on the Billboard charts. That was their highest mm. tracking hit or charting hit there. Uh, it's one of the few songs, uh, I think it was the only song on the album maybe, that was written by both David, Chris, and Tina because it was one of their earliest songs they created together. Um, when it was released, many believed it was about the Son of Sam killings that were happening. Oh in New York at the time. But as I said, they were working on the song two years before, um, I think before the killings had started before they gained notoriety. So that wasn't the case. Now, after release their debut album, the talking heads would go on on a tear, releasing three more albums over the next three years. Um, in that period, they teamed with Brian, uh, Eno, a talented musician singer who had collaborated with David Bowie and was a performer for two years in the band Roxy music. Um, he was kind of labeled as like anti-musician because he would do just kind of like weird experimental stuff is what it was. Mm. Um, and he began producing their albums and he did all three of their albums post their debut album. And each one would kind of chart higher than their original album. Uh, their fourth album, Remain in the Light, was their highest charting album uh, in this period when it topped out at number 19 on the Billboard 200. Um, the biggest hit off that album was Once in a Lifetime, which peaked at number 20 on the U.S. dance charts, but not the U.S. Hot 100. Wow! Um, but it would reach top 30 within several within several other countries, including peaking at number 14 on the U.K. charts. Wow! But not really that big in on the U.S. mainstream charts. Uh, after a quick release of these four albums in four years, Talking Heads would go on a long hiatus of about three years. Um, as a group, they only released their live album called "The Name of the Band Is Talking Heads." which was recorded during their quick run when they were in concerts. Now, during this hiatus, Harrison would release his first solo album. Chris and Tina would play under their side project band name, The Tom Tom Club, which was kind of influenced by hip-hop is what they were saying and kind of more dance-crazy stuff. Hmm. And then David Byrne would collaborate with Eno again on another album together. And then finally, after their three-year hiatus, the group would split from Brian and produce their kind of comeback album, you could say, called Speaking in Tongues. And... Released on June 1st, 1983, the album would become the real breakout uh, breakout album the band had been looking for since 1977. The album would peak at 15 on the Billboard 200, and it would include such songs as Girlfriend is Better, This Must Be the Place, Naive Melody, and the band's highest charting hit, Burning Down the House, which peaked at number 9 on the Billboard Hot 100, becoming the only top 10 hit the band has ever released um, oh, wow. in their career. Um, but before the release of the film, 
And on the rise, before they released their, their, their album, Speaking in Tongues, an on-the-rise filmmaker by the name of Jonathan Demme saw the Talking Heads perform at the Hollywood Bowl in Los Angeles in early 1983 and was impressed by their concert. Uh, Demme would later, as we said, direct such fantastic films as Something Wild and Silence of the Lambs. Uh, but recently, he had just done his first critical breakout hit, which was Melvin and Howard, and it had received three Oscar nominations with two wins. Uh, but that was in 1980, and he hadn't released a film since then. So he was kind of on a little bit of a not knowing what his next movie would be because mm. Hollywood was Hollywood had come calling basically after those Oscar nominations. Um, but Demi talked to his producer Gary Gutz, uh, Getzman, who uh, or Goatsman, sorry, Gary Goatsman, who w- went with him to the Hollywood Bowl uh, and watched Talking Heads. And Demi said that he found their performance to be so cinematic, and that it was dying to be filmed. Uh, Demi would then try to track the band down, hopes being able to make a concert film out of their performances. Um, as the band was rehearsing for their next tour to promote their Speaking in Tongues album, Demi and his girlfriend, Sandy McLeod, would find the band and pitch them on filming some of their performances for the next tour. Um, the band's drummer, Chris France, told Rolling Stone recently in an interview that they liked the idea, saying it sounded nice. Um, and they had seen Melvin and Howard and actually enjoyed it, so they were down with Demi doing it because Demi was also around their age, was kind of a bubbling talent, wasn't a big talent yet, and they knew that he enjoyed their music, so they thought he would be a good fit for making this concert film. And while there's more regarding the making of that, we're going to save that for the onset live section. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's dive into favorite scenes. So what what's some of your favorite scenes? I mean, the, obviously movie, the, the Psycho Killer opening is amazing. Um, Great opening. The way, the way yeah. it like, introduces Burn. And uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's awesome. It's just like a, this slow boom up shot. And it's like as it's moving up, he starts playing and it's just it's perfectly timed and it just perfectly mm-hmm. gets you into the rhythm of, of what the movie's going to be. Um, and then I uh, and, and then I love at the end at the end of that song, how he's kind of like stumbling, dancing around while the stagehands yeah. are like setting up. You know, <laughs> it's well, great. Yeah, it's a very intriguing yeah. way to to start a concert, because, yeah. you know, in most concerts, especially of that nature with that type band. You want to start off with like kind of a big number, you right. know what I mean? Like to get you in, like here's the starter, like come with the bang, and it starts off with David Byrne walking on to the to the stage with a jukebox or with with a boombox, and it's like I have a tape I want to play, yeah, y'all. and then just does a a co- kind of acoustic version, which I had an acoustic version of this of Psycho Killer by himself on stage, mm-hmm. and it's a very it's a very <laughs> unique way to start a band's concert um absolutely absolutely and and then as i said it's it's very talking about the story element of this is that they start with psycho killer and psycho killer was their first song they wrote together Mm -hmm. um and so that's kind of why i said that earlier on the fictionalized version of how the band comes together they try to mimic that in how they come on one by one which i think is a fascinating way to introduce your band absolutely it essentially could say the the first four songs are your introduction essentially to who these characters are. Yeah, absolutely. And who, who the talking heads are as a core group, basically. And so for those who haven't seen it, uh, it is streaming, uh, I think AMC plus and like Pluto or Tubi maybe, but I watched it on uh, canopy canopy. I watched on canopy. Yeah. I know it was on there. I don't know if it was still up till there or not. It's on Plex too, I believe. I watched it on the 29th, um, but I don't know if it because with the new year they take a lot of things off. So I don't know if uh, 
Oh no, I know. I was watching. I was watching Harry Met Sally on New Year's Eve. Yeah. And I walked away for a bit around eleven o'clock Central Time. Came back to go back and watch it, and it had gone off HBO Max. No way! Literally mid movie. I didn't think you'd, I thought you would able be able to finish so it. So I had to go over to Netflix <laughs> to finish it <laughs> to start start it and finish it because I think that also was going to go off at the end of the. So yeah, it was just yeah. Oh dude, I was, yeah. Do remember when Netflix used to tell you? Night. Netflix would tell yeah. you like, oh, this is leaving in so many days. I remember I was watching Memento. And my it, this was like early Netflix, so like it was taking forever to buffer, and I just got frustrated and went yeah. to sleep. And I was like, I'll finish it the next day, but I, then I noticed it was oh, leaving, no. and I was like, Oh no! <laughs> oh no! Yeah. So I, yeah, but I think yeah. I think it's because it, it reset on on our TV. Yeah. And so I had to go back to HBO Max, and it was gone. So anyway. oh man, uh, tangent. But yeah, so this op- these these this kind of four songs, um, with Psycho Killer, Heaven, Thank You for Seeing Me an Angel, and I think Found the Job were the kind of your first. Um, four and it it feels like they're showcasing the beginnings of the band. Absolutely. It's like Dave, it's David's idea. His Chris France kind of talked about this in an interview. He's like, yeah, David likes for that to be the kind of I like the premise the, the of how we got together. Yeah. It's not how we got together, but it's it's kind of fine. He's like where it goes. Like it's David. David comes up with the idea, and then he brings Tina in, and then he brings Chris in, yeah. and then he brings Jerry in. But as I just said. It was David and Chris first, and then Tina came in afterwards, right. and then Jerry. But it was just, for the sake of the story, it was kind of a good little way to, like, David comes in, then Tina comes yeah. in, and then we get Chris, and then we get Jerry. And and what's, again, fascinating is that you have all that where it's kind of like this, they're kind of in like a, is it like a living room set or something? Like, kind of, all, like, like the way it's portrayed, it's just very, like, you, they know you're, you know you're on a stage, basically. It feels like right, you've, like... Right. Like a, like a play just finished and they put the walls back and you're just kind of hanging out, but they're performing there. And then once they all four get together and they finish playing, the the drape comes down and more people come on. Right, right. As they're kind of. And so now it's like and you're seeing kind of like the development of the band in real time within the concert, which is kind of fascinating to watch. How like you're seeing them get bigger yeah. and they're. And their performance is becoming more elaborate as they go, essentially. Absolutely. And the energy, Mimicking, too. It's, yeah. And the energy, yes. Yeah. Mimicking kind of what's happening in their careers at right. the time. Um, and then you hit to, like, so you, you have that opening with Psycho Killer. And, and then I think the next, I mean, they have, I mean. I don't think there's a bad number in this movie, to be honest. Um, I, I, I have one, like, that's, like, I think debatable but i think it's not bad it's okay. like it's kind of like which is your, eh. your least favorite my least well yeah. it's it's more just i'm saying it's my least favorite um i'll say it here i think it just kind of disrupts the flow and that's the tom tom club one okay it's good i don't i don't dislike it it just feels kind of like oh we're going here mm-hmm and then we come back in and he's he's in the in the big in the big man suit. Or yeah. <laughs> it's it just it, what a reveal. It, <laughs> I think it's just musically it's a change. Sure. And I don't know if it fully that kind of disrupts the flow a little bit, yeah. Yeah, but it's not a bad performance. Yeah. I think I think I think Chris and, and Tina are great in the performance. Yeah. It just feels like all right, we're 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 going off over here for a bit and then we're coming back over to talking heads for a bit. All right, well the, but like the last last three songs so what do you think is like the the best number and then what do you think is what is your favorite so like the two different questions there or they could be the same if you you think it's both but i i have two different interesting yeah um 
which one's the i'm trying to think now like, like the which one's the one with the lamp is that that is a uh hold on i got it uh i feel bad oh this must be the this. place has the lamp lamp okay this must be the place I like, yeah i love when he's like dancing with it it's awesome yeah i mean that's that that's my i think that's my favorite perform i think best of like what they're doing mm, okay i think i think just the one that's fun is take me to the river is the thing Yeah, at the very end. It's just kind of a fun one where it feels like we're at the precipice of, of this band. Like we're at the height of this band mm. when it gets to take me to the river. Um, Cause that's when he introduces them all as well too. And then he go, and then yeah. they do one more song. Speaking of the band, um, the band last night played uh, take me to the river. At the, oh, did at they? The, uh, <laughs> it's a great song. Yeah. They did like a ten minute rendition. Uh, they were like jamming in between, and then they, yeah. they went back to it. Um, it was, it was but fun. yeah, it, it it's interesting. Like that, like, and, and I always forget. Like they have one more song after that. But right, it feels like right. the river is their is their final song. Yeah, it's kind of like that's like the peak, the, and then it yeah, you know. And we just yeah. go down one more song. And we got the the falling and then action. It's over. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I think that's I think that's your climax. It's like girlfriend is better because that's when they actually have the line stop making sense or whatever, mm-hmm. and that's when you're getting the bigger the big suit that he's coming out in or whatever, which is a, which it really is a great reveal. Like I, is, I'd seen the is. image of that and I just didn't, I was like, yeah. okay, when's it coming? When's it coming? And then it just, boom, there it is. There it is. <laughs> um, so, so for me, I would say I, I love, and I do love Psycho Killer. That's difficult. Cause the Psycho yeah. Killer is just a fun one. Um, but I think in terms of a, of a perf, I'll, I'll take my answer back away. I think the best performance is, um, uh, once in a lifetime, I think my favorite is Psycho Killer. Interesting. I, think. I had burning down the house as I think what the the best performance personally, because that to me is where they the 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 energy the energy doesn't peak, but it's like everybody yeah. is everybody's on all cylinders. I feel like, um, yeah. And but my favorite my favorite one is what a day that was because I really like what they do with the shadows in that sequence, and it just visually yes. it looks different to everything else. And I also just love that song. Um, yes. So, yeah. Well, so that, that's my that's favorite. Things, yeah. That's the thing too that I think to give credit to both burn, but also to Cronin with and to um, Demi is that I feel like every song feels different. Absolutely. And is the thing. Yeah. And that's and they do, a hard they do, thing to do. They do interesting things with the screens behind them as well. The, yep. the big, uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, they, they, well, they, they make it look different visually each time, but the, the way they use shadows in that one, it just really, yeah. really struck me. And I don't know if that's coming from, that's, that's probably coming from burn over. Yeah. Uh, with, but I think, is what they do with certain things where they, there's some sequences where they're shooting a lot in close-ups. Yeah, and you're like on the stage with them, and there's a yeah. there's some scenes where you feel like they're shooting more, a more of a distance yeah. the entire Get more time. More of the audience. Uh, yeah, and that's that's one well, thing that's interesting is because PTA always talks about. He loves Demi's close-ups, man. He just loves them. Paul, Paul Thomas Anderson yeah. does. And he's mm-hmm. like, I just uh, my whole career, I just want to get those close-ups, man. And there's some really, really solid close-ups in this. And you're just like, how did he do this during a live performance, man? He did, yeah, yeah. that's the thing. We'll go on that later. But like, yeah, yeah he all this is live. Yeah. They don't do they don't stage this. It's all live. And it's insane they're able to get this like such an intimate like per- performance out of the band. Right. Out, out of talking heads with this. Um but with the audience thing, so I don't know if you noticed this or not, and we'll talk about more. But I was watching, and I was like, "Wow, we're not, we're not showing the audience." A yeah, lot. yeah, yeah. And then it opened because you, you don't realize until "Take Me to the River" or or the last song, which is a cross-eyed and painless, I believe, is when they really start to reveal the audience more. And I was like, "Oh, I don't think he's been showing the audience the entire time." Yeah, except in like kind of 
once in the wide shot you might see some heads or yeah whatever. just some heads in the yeah the foreground but, but you have you have no reaction shots yeah. and it's just like it's trying to literally put you in the space mm-hmm. well, and Kale, make you feel like you have the best seat in the house Kale mentioned in her review and i didn't see that i didn't notice that shot where the kid is holding the unicorn oh, the kid, yeah. i didn't notice, I didn't notice yeah. kid either. i don't know what she's talking about i mean i'm sure it's there I'm i just sure. yeah it just didn't stick out the way it stuck out to her um yeah but yeah, yeah, no, I I, th- I think you're right. I think because you want, he, I think Demi and and Burn and they want us to be on stage with them, you know. Yes, and yeah, and, yeah. and and as we talk more, it's like that was a conscious choice right. of like, right. of we're gonna take away the fan reaction shot because mm-hmm. you have to think too. At this period in time, it's '84. What is happening in 1984 in music? It's the rise of MTV, and mm-hmm. you're having bands who are. You're probably starting to see a lot of concert. Like like live concert music videos or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like I, I've seen music where it's like where it's like Journey on tour and you're watching Journey perform live, and they didn't want to make it like a music video. Right. They wanted to make yeah. it look unique and cinematic and big. And see, so the close ups, like he does close ups, but not in the way any other directors right. do close ups. And he knows he knows exactly video. when to cut in too. That's what's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like the editing is mm-hmm. on on point for, for everything. Um, yeah, but yeah, like you're saying, it's like the '80s. We're getting into kind of the hair metal years, which is all pyrotechnics yes. and big and loud. And so that's what's interesting watching this, you know, performance. How different it is. I mean, yeah. they do a lot with the stage, but it's not like you know pyrotechnics and the loud electric guitars and stuff like that. I mean, they're more dancing yeah. around and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but go, let's go back to Birdie in the House because you mentioned that one. Yeah, because yeah. uh, that's the one where I think every that's the first one where everyone's on stage, as you right. said. Like, yeah. Every, where everyone, the backup singers, the keyboardists, the guitar players, everyone's on there. And going back to what I was saying earlier, I think that's the one. So I think this is a good argument of saying that maybe the better, the, like the best one, um, is that that's where he gives them all introductions and he gives them all personality. That's the thing that's mm-hmm. fascinating. Where he gives even Bernie Worrell, who's the key, the the the, the kind of additional musician's keyboard, gives him a personality. He gives um the kind of drum, the kind of like percussion guy. Uh, Steve Scales a, a personality mm-hmm. he gives the backup singers personality he gives all uh, Chris and G- he gives them all personalities in that sequence and you're like here's the band we're going to spend the rest of the time with and right. nothing else is going to change we're not adding anything else we'll, we'll lose David for about a song um, <laughs> this is who we're with this is who we're with right. um, and yeah I think it's, it's, it's I think this is a great way to how, it's just weird how see, how how you how you see them build a character, mm-hmm. the character of the band and a character of individuals through a concert and through yeah. the, the visual style of the concert. And I think how he stages them plays into it as well. Yeah. I don't know how, how much of that was Burn and how much of that was Demi, well, but yeah, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll bring that up on, on the next section because okay. uh, it, it's 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 surprising where you wonder. It's 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 weird. I think most of everything is David Byrne, but I think it takes a true filmmaker to like to, realize that, yeah, to, yeah. to figure out how to shoot that, yeah. and tell that story in a cinematic way, and it not get lost, and also not put yourself to where it's like it's Demi's person. It's it's, mm-hmm. it's 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 a it's a good collaboration between kind of the two forces that yeah. end up talking heads, David Byrne and. John Demme. It's an interesting meeting of the minds for sure. Yes. And, but and Byrne himself became a director, you know, uh, with the the what's it called? True Stories, right? I haven't seen True I haven't Stories, seen. which is a fascinating movie. Yeah. Like, I could see them playing I, that at the newer. I would love to watch True yeah. Stories on the big screen because it's 
I don't think I've ever seen anything else like that movie before. Mm. It's such a unique film visually. And it, it's, it's not really a, uh, basically it's like, it's kind of telling the story of John, Gu- John Goodman's the lead character. And he's kind of a guy who's just, I mean, wanting to like kind of get married and kind of have a life. Uh, but he's living in like this small Texas town. Um, and doesn't quite like fit in with the world. It feels like, mm. um, and, but David Byrne is kind of also the main character, the narrator of such. And he's observing this small town as they're like celebrating their 150, 100, the 150th anniversary of Texas independence is what it is. Mm. So it's like very Texas town with all these like little side characters and things. Um, but just a very unique, like eighties, like showcasing eighties culture and like, like a lot of stuff at the mall and the way he kind of shoots that. And then he has like kind of a big concert happening at the end because of the the celebration they're having. It's a, it's a fascinating movie to watch. Um, yeah. a I want to check watch it out too. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, was Steven Tobowski in it or he's just mentioning it. Okay. Um, but I think, I don't know if Demi had any part in it, but I think he was just, he was friends with Burns. So he probably had some sort of like, might have watched it or something. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I found. Well, I just think it's interesting story. for a, a musician turned director. I always think that's interesting. A musician turned director, yeah. like you know, like Rob Zombie or like who else do we really have? Not a lot. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I think it's more John Melling. John Mellencamp did a movie. Did he really? Uh, yeah, because it was like a, it was like country movie, I believe. Um, I'll look it up. I can't remember what it's called. Um, and now we have Taylor yeah. Swift. We do coming out yep. in Fox, Fox Searchlight. Searchlight. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. Um, I'm rooting for. Her. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, <laughs> um, but yeah. So uh, the true story is, yeah, it's worth checking out. Very odd movie, but I expect nothing less from David Byrne. Is the thing, right? Um, oh, I mean, and so like you're saying, you get a real sense of his personality in this in this movie. Yes. Just through just through and, his perform, you know, his mu- musical. And perform- he doubles down in true stories. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, so what what so we've we've kind of talked about this, but what's some other some of your favorite scenes you have in this movie? I mean, I think I we've like, mentioned all my favorite. No, I mean, like I said, but I said I, yeah. I I really don't think there's a weak number in this. Um, but yeah, I think we mentioned all, all my all my personal favorite ones. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, and then, and the big and then the big kind of shirts. That's in the in uh, think, yeah. Take me to the river. Girlfriend's better. Oh, I, I did like when he's running around during uh oh life during life, war, 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 during war time. Yeah, 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 when he's running yes, around the stage, that was one of my taking favorite laps at the end. Yes. Of, at the end of the the, the song. <laughs> I think that I feel like it was like one of those where like I'm tr- when, when my friend left and I was like, really, you're yeah. you're sleeping through this? It was uh, which one was it? I want to see which one it was. I think it was your slippery people or life during war times. I gotta leave, man. I'm just t- I was like, really, you're tired. You're you're not excited by this, but anyway. Um, I mean, there's always yes. at least one person that nods out. Like we always hear snoring at the, even at the that's, eleven o'clock that's, ones. That's fair. That's very true. It, um, and to be fair, a couple of times it's been me, but yeah, it depends. Yeah, yeah. sometimes it's a little hard. It depends on the movie. Yeah, it's a, but but it, it if it's a slower movie, I will do that with. But that movie, I just it's it's hard to imagine. Yeah, no, I, I, I can't imagine because yeah, like you said, it's very loud and you know, it's very loud energy and yeah. Yeah, I mean, it makes you want to um, get up and like you know, run around the stage too. And don't worry, that comes into play a little bit later. Oh. We get to the aftermath of it. Um, so moving on to onset life. So as the Talking Heads are about to go on tour, Jonathan Demi 
was called to do reshoots on his latest film. Now, after Melvin and Howard, Demi was hired to direct a World War II romantic drama starring Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell called Swing Shift. Also starred um, Ed Harris, too. Is it good? Um, I liked it. Basically, what it is is that um, this is when I watched when I worked at the video store back in Alabama, and Goldie Hawn is a like Rose the Riveter type character. Mm. Her, her husband, Ed Harris, goes off to World War II. Goldie Hawn stays, starts working in a factory, meets Kurt Russell, who's also working at the same factory. They fall in love, start to have a relationship. This might look too much of the movie of it, but like, and Ed Harris shows back up. Oh. Um, and so D- Demi directed this movie, and it seems in the post production for this film, it was a nightmare for Demi because after they saw the film, after Goldie Hawn saw the film, she and her producing partner wanted to reshoot a good portion of the movie. Oh man. Including like adding several, a lot of scenes to it. Um, some people say it's kind of like a, a interesting case study of the relationship between actor, producer and star or actor, producer and director. Right. Um, so against Demi's wishes, 30 minutes worth of new scenes were written and needed to be shot to be added into the film of swing shift. Um, this resulted in the movie being pushed four months, the release date for the movie being pushed by four months and didn't even have to go back in and shoot these scenes. Um, briefly uh, about this, about swing shift. He would also take off, take his name off the promotional materials for the movie and even take off the credits saying a Jonathan Demi film at the beginning of the film. So because of all this, it took him away from prepping for stop making sense so oh man he and he did for a bit he was on the road with them like kind of building this kind of camaraderie between them all and kind of getting to know them all and everything but because of this he had to go back to la and sandy mcleod his girlfriend stay on the road with talking heads and basically took notes for a month on what they did on stage and how their performances were so that demi could prep to plan out how to shoot this movie basically um which is which chris is a Fran- tall tall order you know it very much is yeah chris francis said that she was on tour with him for a lot of the time because demi had to go off as he said go deal with goldie hahn basically mm-hmm. um and to give goldie hahn cre- like like uh to to kind of paint the picture of who goldie hahn was this moment. she was one of the biggest stars right in america especially c- comedic stars and this was more of a drama that she was in and that she was kind of helming as a producer and Demi. I mean, we see it all the time nowadays. Yeah. This younger director who has a good critical hit gets this big movie and you either, you either have massive conflicts where you're fighting for it or you succumb to yeah. what the studio or it swallows you. Wants. Yeah. It swallows you whole. Yeah. And it seems like Demi was fighting in the end between star producers and studios essentially because studios want to please their the star, star. Yeah, yeah right right they could care less about the director she's who's gonna sell the movie yeah exactly yeah. exactly but uh I, yeah so i haven't seen any you know prior to this i hadn't seen anything before something wild so i do want to check out his his early work yeah i haven't seen melvin and howard yeah. i like mel I, I i did like swing shift it's been a while so i don't know how yeah. how my view of it would change will, will yeah. stand but i but i also that was people i really loved watching like hollywood tackling 1940s movies like i just like that like I like uh, examples like Devil in a Blue Dress with Denzel Washington. I like, like that movie a lot. Um, 
a modern type film tackling the like a, an earlier decade in LA if it's LA Confidential or whatever with the 50s. Um, but so I liked it. I, I like the idea of also tackling the home front during World War II because that's what it's all about is the home front. We're not going over to, to, to the war aspect. We're actually seeing what it's like being in America mm. at a time when the world's at war. And I've always found that fascinating. Um, I feel like we would, I mean, I don't know about now, but I would like to see more of that in some way. I think maybe, I don't think this will deal with this as much, but that's why I'm interested in Oppenheimer a little bit because we're seeing yeah, right, right, right. stuff to do with war that's not happening in the Pacific. It's not happening in Germany or France or whatever, but it's happening. What's happening in America right. with American people at that time. I find that fascinating. Mm-hmm. So swing shift does a little bit of that. Um, but anyway, um, so when asked about how much direction Demi gave them, France said none. Oh man. All, all of the concert structure came from David Byrne and Demi just captured it. Interesting. Uh, France, France didn't, didn't he the, use oh. some of their music though in one of his films? Uh, was it Melvin and Howard? Let's see. Because I was wondering, like, how he, how did they meet? You know, he did say it was it was their it was their he it was he it was one of their, he was or the Talking Heads were one one of his favorite bands. Oh, okay. I see. Well, he 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 met them after the the Hollywood Bowl tour or concert right. where he went and tried to find them to say, hey, I like your um. I like I like your music. Can I do Can I do a, a doc? Yeah, do a concert film. Yeah. Um, let's see. Yeah, I don't know what when, when he used it. Yeah. He probably used it at some point in the probably after this film. If I had to guess. Oh, okay. Um, oh yeah, I yes, think there is one in something wild. There might be a talking head something. Yeah, might be right. Yeah. Um. So France said the only direction they got was from Gary, uh, Goatsman, who said that, or he told them not to look at the camera. And to not pick their nose on camera. <laughs> but, as I said, Demi would still bring his style to the film. Because uh, Demi did not want it to look like a music video from MTV. And the band didn't want that either. France would say they didn't want, this is quote, didn't want any bullshit. Um, they didn't want cliche shots of close-up of hands playing guitars or things like that. Um, Demi would also make the directorial choice to not show the audience during the concert until the very end. He took away one of the most popular shots of a concert film, and that was the fan reaction shot. He later said, I didn't want to go the route of constant cutaways to the audience, but rather I wanted to try to create a roving best seat in the house camera as if you were watching from the audience, but could but could have could have any vantage point you wanted on the basis of what the most exciting thing happening was at that moment. Um, but Demi tried it once, he said, and discovered that filming the audience required additional lighting, which inhibited the audience's energy. This, in turn, made the band feel insecure and thus led to, and I quote, the worst Talking Heads performance in the history of the band's career. Oh, man. Which is why he didn't do it. Um, The concert would be shot across three nights at the Pantages Theater in L.A. uh, in December of 1983. Have you been to the Pantages, by the way? Yes. That's where most of the the, uh, plays are now, the musicals. So I saw To Kill a Mockingbird there recently. Yeah. I saw Hamilton there. That's where Hamilton was. Um, so that's it's downtown. Um, uh, oh, I'm sorry, it's not downtown. It's in Hollywood. Right. Um, right. It looks like a cool theater. venue. Yeah, from the it's outside, beautiful. I've never. It's a it's a beautiful theater. I love yeah. that theater. If it wasn't so expensive, I'd go a lot more. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, but Demi. So Demi, uh, they shot three nights there. But Demi wanted to shoot more scenes on a soundstage, and make it look similar to the Pantages for extra shots. But the van, the band vetoed that idea saying they would lose something 
if there were any performances that weren't performed in front of a live audience. I, I, buy, again, I it, buy that. I buy that. It, it feels, I mean, this is with any musician, like the connection to the audience is very key. And that's absolutely if, if everyone's brightly lit and they're insecure of watching faces looking back at them, or if there's no audience there, they're, they're definitely going off of this. Um, Demi has said that that one night of shooting was dedicated to almost entirely wide shots from a distance to minimize the intrusion of cameras on stage. Um, on the other nights, they would focus on one side of the stage and then the other side of the stage on the other night. Hmm. Um, and as I said, almost all the structure of the concert was designed by Byrne himself, and they want and they wanted to create a character piece. Um, part of that, oh, I put this, but yeah, part of that was trying to mimic how the band was formed. Um, and while the formers of the band were in it, they also added additional musicians on stage, which were ba- which were backup singers and musicians. It was Steve Scales was on produ- percussion, Alex Weir was on guitar, Bernie War- Worrell was on keyboard, and Lynn Mabry and Edna Holt were the backup singers. Mm. Uh, Worrell, who's who's seen a lot in the movie, was one of the founding members of Parliament Funkadelic, and would later be inducted into the Hall of- Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with the group. Um, and so he, I think he was he performed with a lot perform with him a lot uh through the concert um also the film was groundbreaking because of its sound recording um it used a 24 track digital sound recording um which resulted in a very clear soundtrack and it was Mm. the first movie to ever do that um and it kind of pioneered the way sound was done uh in movies or at least with concert stuff um David Byrne also wanted all the band to wear neutral colors <laughs> on stage. The stage line would not illuminate anything too distinctive, but Chris France wore like a turquoise colored polo, sh- polo shirt is what it is. Um, Cause France is like, yeah, he tells us to wear all neutral colors. And then he shows up in like a bright white shirt. And I was like, okay. And so he wore, I'm wearing a turqu- turquoise sh- shirt. Basically. <laughs> um, it's the every night he kind of had, cause they wanted to keep, every performance the same all three nights. So he said he would listen to a headphone during certain performances early on to keep this tempo the same mm. to where it didn't change from night to night, basically. Um, Cause sometimes it would change with the audience and how it was going. Um, but yeah. Um, what else do I have here? Oh yeah. Um, also the big suit that came about because uh, burn had been over in Japan is what it was. And he had seen kind of how their kind of ward, their kind of cost or their kind of clothes were there, and specifically with certain kind of performance art there. Um, I think specifically it was it was Japanese now in OH is what it was, this type of form mm. where they wore bigger clothes. Um, I think Pauline Kale mentions that in her her review on it. Um, but he said, I think someone said like, oh, like in those type of performances or on, when you're on stage, I am Japanese, but in general your gestures are you're always bigger on stage and they meant like in gestures or whatever, but burn took that as like a, Oh, let's just make myself bigger literally on stage and add the effect of the big suits that became kind of synonymous with this movie. Right. Is the thing. Um, and my last thing, well, it's like, that's that, like um, the image that I knew of the movie before, you know, seeing it. Yes. Yes. Um, the last thing on onset life with this is that, um, Besides structuring the show, the band actually had to pay for the cost of production. Um, while I got a loan from Warner Brothers, who was releasing the live album of the film, they would have to pay that back at some point. So basically, France was very like adamant, like, yeah, I wish Byrne talked about this more, but like, we put ourselves on the line here really? to pay for this movie. And if it failed, they were kind of screwed. 
Um, so then they put up eight hundred thousand dollars. Is what it was. Wow, for the film, chunk of change. But yeah. Um. So that was the end of nineteen eighty three. Um. And then we move into aftermath of this film. It would be released. It would play. Um. Um. What's this? It played at the San Francisco International Film Festival on April 24th, 1984, so only like four months after it was filmed. Um, and it would then be released in America on October 19th, 1984. Now, France would say that instead of a big release, they would play the film. Basically, it was their decision they wanted to play in like very small college theaters or art houses across the country instead of trying to open it big. And that was one of the reasons why it did so well because it had these long runs at these art house theaters that had mm. the audience kind of keep coming back. And pretty much from the very beginning of playing it, they said that people would be dancing in the aisles while watching the film. And France said it was actually like crazy to think that like we were going to see the movie and we would see people like dancing right. while the movie's going on. Um, and I heard they would do that even a few years ago when it played at the, at the Arrow theaters that you had people in the back like dancing while watching the movie basically yeah so it create it makes you want to get up and dance is it absolutely if you never and, and i think that's what like i think burns to that why he with the with the big suit and everything he was talking about how like music affects the the body before it affects the mind mm. is that naturally you're wanting to get up and dance based on the music but you're not thinking about it and that's why he has kind of he's just weird. He dances weird. I feel like too is that he's just like doing. These, I think he's like, like he's taking this idea of like the body kind of taking over right what's actually happening and not the mind thinking about it. Is that he's moving because the music is making him want to move basically. Right, right. Um, Burns a very interesting guy. <laughs> I will say that he actually. I don't know if you saw us. He performed last night. Um, in LA. Recording this. Oh. Oh, he performed oh. on New Year's Miley Cyrus's New Year's New Year's Eve oh, really? special or whatever. He did he did one. Uh, people were kind of ragging him on 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 Twitter because they were saying he was like flat. But also, David Burns like not the best singer in the world is the thing. Yeah. Um, and his performance with Miley Cyrus wasn't bad. I felt like his performance with Sia afterwards was not good. Um, but like is he because I think Polly and Kale talks about in the reviews that he's just like he's not the best singer. Yeah. But like he had like he's clear. And it works for the songs he's singing. Mm -hmm. um, but range-wise, it's he's not wonderful. But he was singing a David Bowie song, uh, oh, Let's cool. Dance, with Miley Cyrus. I can see um, that. I can see that. I'll have to yeah. watch that. I, it's good. Yeah, it's online. So you, you'll see Twitter. Be, and basically on Twitter, it's just like, anyone who's talking bad about David Byrne, I hope you have a horrible year. <laughs> like, everyone was just, it was just, it was so like, screw you. He's great. Move on. Um, but yes, yeah, so the movie, I said, came out in October. Um, it would be, it'd be a pretty decent hit for the, the budget. The budget was 1.2 million. It would make 5.1 million oh, wow. at the box office. And pretty much almost once it was released, everyone was saying this is one of the greatest, if not the best rock movies of all time or, um, concert films of all time. Uh, Larry Malton would give it four out of four stars saying brilliantly conceived, shot, edited, and performed. And one of the greatest rock movies ever made. Ebert would give it three and a half out of four stars, saying, um, it's not making sense of enormous energy, of life being lived at a joyous high. It's a live show with elements of Metropolis. Oh, um, wow. That's a comp. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. And then Polly and Kale would also say it's close to perfection. 
basically saying even even she like you can't really deny what is going on in the movie basically um so pretty much all around great reviews from critics um and it's since just i think it kind of with speaking in tongues and this movie it kind of elevated talking heads to a larger platform Mm -hmm. in america i would say or with american without american audiences basically to the mainstream um and the film, I think just recently in 2021, it was selected for preservation in the U.S. National Film Registry by the Library of Congress. Um, it's constantly listed as one of the best concert films of all time. And the big suit, the David Byrne wears, has been parodied countless times, it feels like. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think they've been, they've been parodied in, like, talk, Documentary Now, I believe, as well. Um, but oh, I gotta watch over. that one. That's that's probably funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but with with Last Waltz and this, it's it's kind of considered the two they jockey for position of which one is the better mm-hmm. concert. I think film. I think I lean to Last Waltz because I like the but I granted I haven't seen it in seven years, so I need to revisit it before yeah. before I make a declarative statement. But I what mm-hmm. I liked about Last Waltz is the interviews. I, and and also like the the uh variety of acts in, in the Last Waltz is cool. Yeah. Um so that leads leads me, David, to ask the question, what worked about this movie? I mean, I think it's what we're talking about. It's like, uh, you know, as a pure concert film, it captures the concert. And not only that, it tells a story within that. So it's it, it, uh, you know, it set out exactly it did exactly what it set out to do, but also entertains entertains you. I agree. And I think, again, as we said, it's this kind of perfect combination of. Of Burn and Demi, where. Mm -hmm. Demi knows where his strength lies and it's like he know, he's like he's aware like look i fell in love with them because i saw him perform i'm not gonna mess with that i'm just gonna find a way how's the best way to showcase how good they are right and not even tell them what to do um and that's a tra- that's a good trait in a director where you know when to step in and when not to and then right. he's like i'm not stepping in <laughs> right I'll shoot you guys and you do whatever you want to do. And then I'll, I'll cut together and make it, uh, the best I can. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Um, but yeah, I think energy is amazing. I think the visuals are stunning. Uh, again, it's just so full of energy and again, joy in music is, is to, to, to sound guys sentimental. It's like, it's very much like these people you can tell love, mm-hmm playing music no matter what ends up happening after this band with the band breaking up a few years later and the contra and the kind of the difficulties they've had i think i think chris france they asked him like do you guys all still talk he's like oh i still i'm still friends with jerry but like david i just we have an email relationship where we have to talk about like stuff about the band sometimes but we don't like we don't hang out basically and he's married and and and, but chris is married to tina essentially so like they so it's like three of them still all talk but david the leader or seen as the leader and not saying is lead, but is seen as leader is not really in the same friendship with them anymore. Um, but no, yeah, I mean, but that happens so, a lot of times with bands, you know, it does, yeah, yeah. it does. But I, I think it's just kind of this, but this movie itself is like kind of a perfect encapsulation of the pure high that a band gets. Absolutely. Playing music. Absolutely. And exactly. there's many shots where you get like the whole band to, you know, or like, or, or the main yeah. three or the main four together. And you're like, yeah. what? like, they're like this. Uh, it's behind them at one point, and it's it's yeah. Burn, uh, mm-hmm. Tina, and uh, 
and uh, handsome, and they're mm-hmm. they're all just they're all just dancing. Harris, Harris, is it Harrison? Harrison? Oh, uh, Jerry, Jerry, yeah. So Jerry, yeah, uh, yeah burned uh, Tina and Jerry, and they're dancing and like grooving together, man. It'd be like in perfect unison, and you're just like, it's yeah. just it's just it's just amazing. When it's you great. see it's... a band work together like that, it's 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 beautiful. It's always funny because I'm nervous. But as a band, you're like you watch them, like man, why do we break up? Right. We're having so much fun, and then you're like, oh, because all these other reasons that happen. That's why I broke up. But it's just like. Well, I mean, looking at it, that Beatles, uh, the Beatles get get back, you know, Doc, and you're like, mm-hmm. you, you, we'd heard legend for decades about how how uh, how much turmoil they were having, and yeah, there's a few yeah. moments, but like they're still really enjoying creating to get, you know, like yes, there's we'll tension, see. but it's like it's like, but I think that's just natural in any artistic endeavor, especially when you have strong personalities like the yes, the, the, and with the, you know, and George, with, Paul, and uh, John. <laughs> yeah, and with and with get back, it's like you're dealing with like, I think with as that that's that thing shows that series shows it's like the tension comes because of what's unspoken right is what happened that's with, with george harrison said like he is not speaking on what his his needs and struggles are but then once everything gets out in the open they deal with it mm-hmm. they they worried that it could break them up but then they realize we're all family let's do this thing and like let's not leave it unfinished is kind of the thing right but then when you get when you get them performing on on, on top of Apple on the roof Studios, yeah, yeah you watch that and you're like why do we break up yeah i saw that <laughs> like, at, dude i saw that in imax and it was it, uh-huh. that's one of the best things i saw in 2020 2022 because like you cannot tell i'm I, I, you cannot tell that that they are like having a bad time no like, they, like you can, they're generally having fun yeah and then when you see them like listening to it back at the end like mm-hmm. It's a relief, basically, is what it feels like by them. And that's why I think even the, the director, because everyone's like, oh, we had a horrible time making that. And the director's like, no, just go back and watch that footage. You guys had fun. It's, yeah, it was just yeah. the aftermath of like you guys breaking up not long after is what makes you think it was a terrible time. Right, right. Anyway, let's get back. Um, but yeah, so that's what that's what we think worked about this movie. What did anything not work about this film, David? Um, no, I mean, I didn't have any. I I, I think I think before I well I mean I assumed that it was an artistic decision I would have liked to see more of the audience but I I just, I did assume that it was an artistic decision and I think it does work mm-hmm. in its favor now that I, I've heard like the reasoning and all that yeah yeah the worst talking heads performance ever <laughs> by showing the audience yeah. yeah let's not show that um I I still I don't I don't love the Tom Tom Club sequence just because I think it disrupts the flow of the story of the struck the story they're trying to tell um but i don't think it's a bad performance i just think it it feels like kind of a little bit of a left turn mm-hmm. is the thing that's my only kind of issue with it so take what you will i think kale's the same exact thing too and i was like when i was like, oh cool i'm not the only one that kind of felt this way like it just feels like a little bit yeah. of a, oh here's a detour and then we're back and it just feels more like France said that 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 song Genius of Love was kind of a decent sized hit, and he said that Burn like it helped them by playing it essentially because it was a it was a decent hit, and also it gave him time to get into his big suit basically. Right, right. So it feel it it just feels a little bit almost like out of necessity for like logistical purposes over like telling the story that it's been trying to tell. That's right. being an that organic good. part of the rest of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was kind of my thing with it, but yeah. Oh well, um, film facts. They actually shot two more songs. Oh no way! What were what were they? It was uh, cities, 
which came after Slippery People, in between Slippery People and Burning Down the House. And then uh, I, Zebra. Actually, three songs. I, Zebra and Big Business. Okay. Or Zimbra. I was going to say, if they, um, if they had recorded Listening Wind and didn't play it, I, 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 I would have been mad. <laughs> so it was three songs, and, and they were only put on, like, uh, extra. It, it was They were added into the VHS release. Oh, wow. But then they were at, they were put on as uh, extras in the DVD and Blu-ray releases, so they cut three songs before it was released in theaters, basically. Right, right. Um, so that's the film facts on that. Um, and then next, let's go to awards. The Beatrice Strait Award. Let's see how we do this. Um, Beatrice Strait Award performer with limited scenes that killed us. So I feel like here, I would put anyone. That's not in the band. Uh, oh, so like the the not the main four. Like no, not the main four. Okay, anyone gotcha, else? Gotcha. So, so if that's Bernie, if that's the backup singers, if that's Steve or Alex. Wait, I think um, this is a hard question in that regard because they all kind of have their moment, you know. They do. Yeah. Um, I think the one who has so so a lot of a lot of a point to Bernie is the one that has a lot of interesting mm-hmm. moments as the keyboard player, right? I think Steve, who's the percussionist, I think he has a lot of good moments, especially in the end, where he's like getting the crowd pumped up in the final stuff. Right. So he's kind of my pick. Um, because he just he he's kinda has this big sense of energy around him, basically, mm-hmm. um, that I really love. So my pick is Steve Scales. Yeah, I'm a, I just I'm, love it. I'm done with that argument. Okay. I don't know how we're going to showcase this in our in our awards thing, but <laughs> Steve Scales. Okay, so Annie Potts X Factor Award, um, support supporting performer that is the most memorable. So is that any of the main four that's not Burn or? I would say okay. any of four is yeah yeah. I got so I think Bur- I think Burn is the lead. Right, that is the thing. Oh for sure, but I got to give it. To he, t- ma- he he makes himself the lead at least. I got to give it to Tina, man. She kicks ass. I I would agree with you guys that because even if awesome. I don't, if I don't love the Tom Tom Club sequence. Again, I don't think it's bad. It just takes away from the flow, but I think she's fantastic in it. And I th- her like crap walk that she yeah. does when she's playing. I mean, like it, I think she's really, she's really great. I mean, Jerry keeps up with them, but like th- there's moments where Burn and Tina are dancing together and it's just amazing, yes. dude. Like, they're amazing. perfect. Using, yeah. Yeah. And, th- and, and that's what makes me feel like why he would put her second in the, in the thing, because she just has this, like captivating energy around yeah. her it's like it's 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 a shame because like if you're able to work her in more this is why i might why i might like genius of love if you're able to work her in more earlier than just the natural like demi looking at her mm. and her being more integral and say singing more or whatever then i might not then genius of love might work more for me um but i think she is so good in all of it. Right. Even if I have problems, I think she is the best part in that supporting kind of cast mm-hmm. is the thing. So I'll agree with you. Tina is the one. Uh, Tina Waymouth? Waymouth, yes. Yeah. So Gene Hackman MVP Award, performer, director, etc. cetera, mm-hmm. um, that carries the movie. Well, it's funny. Before like sitting here and talking to you about this, I would have given it to Demi. But now that I know that the... Yeah, yeah, you got to give it to Burn. You know, now that I know that it, 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 it was more of his design in regards to like the the structure of it. Um, I agree. Then I got to give it to Burn. 
Um, I, although I, I think I, I think I think you don't like if you if you didn't have Demi in that position or a director of that caliber, he couldn't have brought it to life on on. I agree, but yeah, I I I can't even think it's gonna be Demi. I was like, oh yeah, but then researchers like, oh no, this is all like yeah, from the mind of David Byrne and Talking Heads, and and them everyone just kind of like, okay, we know how he thinks, let's just try to balance it all out, basically. And Demi like, I'm just gonna shoot it, don't change anything, type thing. So yeah, I think it's David Byrne for sure. Um, all right, final questions. Um, I don't know if we can do this. I I, I put it down, but if there was a stop making sense like written remake for today oh, interesting or like a talking play. heads biopic or like they specifically yeah, maybe, yeah, doing say, this concept okay say, say yeah say a biopic of them in this period oh like building up to this, this yeah, yeah, yeah i see building up to this yeah. who who do you oh wow who do you pick i have no idea man it's my but it's we're, we're making it now you're saying yeah. we're making it, okay yeah. oh wow making it now hold on oh, this will be fun uh yeah yeah who the hell plays burn dude I, if it was the 90s i would go with jim carrey Let's just do. Let's see if we do nineties. Okay. Let's see if we do nineties. So I would say Jim, Jim Carrey. Yeah. Um. Who would be a good Tana? Let me go my nineties. Renee Zellweger wouldn't be a bad. I was thinking. I was thinking her actually. Yeah. yeah I think, but I, I, think I was like, I was wondering where are we at in the nineties? You know. Uh, I guess she I, could play it if you're talking about like mid to late nineties. Yeah. Because she, she, I don't know. I think she might. I don't know if someone else says it, but I know she kind of like performs in Empire Records. I don't mm. know if it's her, but she has a good stage presence. Um, I mean, she's in Chicago, so she can't sing. Right, right, right. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's a decent pick. So we yeah. got T- so Renee Zeller for Tina, Jim Carrey for David Byrne. Um, who is Chris France? Is the question? I was going to say John Goodman, but he might be a little too old. Yeah. And I always want to throw John Goodman in the mix. I know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is Mike Myers one of these guys? Oh, that'd be interesting. Oh, I could see Mike Mike Myers as as Chris. I think so too. Yeah. I think Myers might be yeah. a decent Chris. Yeah, I could definitely see that now looking at this photo. Uh, okay. And I could see him with that haircut. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, but now we got we got Jerry. Jerry, I think we need a serious dramatic actor. To play Edward, Edward Norton. Oh, Edward yes, Norton. yes, yes. I was thinking Edward Norton. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and uh, oh well, it's not Modern Day. I was gonna say I know Mike Mike Mills is a big uh, fan of the Talking Heads, so I was like, oh, directed by Mike oh, Mills, yeah. but it'd, yeah, that'd be too early. Um, so we got Jim Carrey's David Byrne, Renee Zellweger is Tina, um, Edward Norton is Jerry Harrison, and. Um, who did, I, who did I say? Mike Myers is Chris France. <laughs> That's a perfect '90s cast. Yeah, I don't think he can. And do... Demi could probably still direct it. Yeah. Is the thing yeah, like yeah. it's like he's like I'm gonna go I'm gonna pull my uh, man new too much and just remake my uh, <laughs> previous thing. I think it works. Um, all right, does this film fit with any other genres? I don't know if it does. Um, yeah, I mean, would you argue it's a musical? I mean. Like a stage you musical. You could argue it's a musical because yeah. I I think he does. They do play it off like a stage musical yeah. thing. Um, I think other things that would fit under, but it doesn't really fit narratively. It's like it's it's actually not that. It's like you say, it's is it a one night movie, but it's take, they shot over three nights. Yeah. Um, contained movie. It's in one location. It's a contained single look, um, single location, single location. But I I think I mean, but I that think, is true. Like for example, I I watched uh, Demi's um the the Neil Young. Uh, oh, let me get the exact. Mm-hmm. 
uh, Heart of Gold. Heart of Gold. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I watched that la- uh, literally last night um, or la- yesterday evening, and it it's interesting because it it has a whole setup, you know, before they even take the stage. Um, mm. So yeah, because it's because it's about you know after his aneurysm. You know, and he this was his like first show he was doing after that, and all, or like a first big show that he was doing like after all that. Yeah. So it kind of sets all that up. So it, it is interesting comparing it to this because it, it's not all in on the stage. Like we literally start with David yeah. taking the stage, and we don't, you know, we end with them, you know, doing their bow and all that. Uh, yeah. So uh, I do think that's an interesting. Uh, you could you could argue it's contained. You know, contained. Okay, okay, we'll call it contained. Um, but also musical. But also, I think the contained music. I, I think this is to put in perspective. Say next week is Last Waltz. It's like I think this is probably more of a musical than Last Waltz, which I think sure. is weird to say. But I think it's, it has more of a thread right. of what it's trying to do. Um. So yeah, let's go with that. And then, how does this film fit with the concert film genre? I mean, like we said, it's a pure, pure. Concert. I think it's yeah. pure. I think it's pure concert film, just because it focuses purely on performance right but it makes it cinematic. It, it, it makes it cinematic it's not like yes. just three got three yes. cameras set up you know shooting the cons you know yeah it's yeah. done like okay it's like it's because i think demi said like shooting music is like the purest form of cinema because mm. you're getting movement and action within the frame and essentially it's telling a story they, they themselves are telling a story by singing so you're just getting it's pure right kind of the 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 relationship between music and visuals essentially um but yeah i think it's just pure music but somehow is able to be character driven and how it tells the story mm-hmm. which i think what will set apart or will put these the, the, the great ones will set apart from other ones is how they tell the story of the people who are performing if it's through interviews with the last waltz um if it's through more cinematic sequences like in sign of the times um but I, I think, or if it's in a more documentary style, like Summer Assault, which, right. which, well, I'll talk about Ollie's this month, but like, this is very much like, we're just going to point the camera at these people, at these people and through the visual style, not tell you anything else, but you're going to know who these people are, mm-hmm. how they act and why they like being together, at least in this moment. Right. Right. And I think it's all there. Agreed. All right. Well, I think that stopped making sense, David. Yeah. I, I had not expected me to, uh, us to cover these films on like on like for a month of the show. So I'm kind of excited to see what's going to happen. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested to see how you guys um, further define the, the concert. This film. Genre. Yeah. 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 Cause it's, it's like, I, I, I sent Thomas a list. I was like, I was like, as a, as a, on a whim, I was like, let me put concert film on here. And I was like, he's going to pick it. I just know he's going to pick it. <laughs> I know him too. And he was just like, concert film could be interesting. I, was like, I knew it. I knew you were going to do it. <laughs> um, so yeah, but uh, yeah. So, the rest of the month we're talking about next week, we're talking about last waltz with Thomas, supposedly Thomas supposed to be on. Um, and then we have the planet now is to do Prince's sign of the times. And then summer of soul directed by quest love, uh, at the end of the month, which I've heard so is really good. One. Really good. I really, I really love it. It's a really great film. Um, and then Patreon, we're going to be talking. We're still trying to figure it out, but I know we're at least doing some Nirvana stuff that you'll be, you'll be coming on for yep. David. Oh, yeah. Um, and then if I, if I just, Say hey, you know what? We're gonna do. I'm gonna do a whole Elvis thing by myself. I could do it, guys. So just stay tuned for that. Um, that will be a good one. That'll be worth the ten bucks on its own. Yeah, it will be. And if you haven't joined our Patreon, be sure to do so. Uh, There's a one dollar tier, five dollar tier, ten dollar tier. Thank you all who have been subscribing. We're getting more people. Well, last month we had more people 
sign up uh and it's been great to kind of support what you guys have been giving us so we truly appreciate that um that helps us continue to put out the show um and give you more content so again thank you so much for that um but that's all we have for this episode if you have any questions for us feel free to contact us at cinnationpodcast at gmail.com send us your questions comments kind words you can post about us on social media too we'll, we'll respond to that if we can um and if you're a new listener of the show um or a fan of the show and for some reason you haven't subscribed to us be sure to do so uh to stay updated on all of our new episodes you can subscribe to our show on Apple podcast spotify google podcast stitcher or wherever your podcast and if you haven't already be sure to write us a review on your preferred podcast platform. These reviews, no matter how short or sweet they are, um, will help gain traction and help give more eyes on the podcast. So just saying, this is a great show. You should listen. That two sentences of, of 10 words of less will help kind of push us up for people to listen to. So if you can do that, please do that. It will help us out tremendously. Um, so yeah, and finally, don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterbox and TikTok, all that jazz. Um, David, thank you for coming on and talking about some of these concert films or this concert film with me. So yeah, thank you, man. Yeah, it's fun. And th- thanks for helping start the month off. Yeah, we don't usually do that. Yeah, so it's, it, was, it, was a, it was a weight on my shoulder. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, oh, I've been prepping. <laughs> I've been prepping since Thanksgiving. Um, oh, it's no, funny because yes, I just like naturally ended up watching a lot of concert films this year. You like, did, yeah, because like you know I watched Monterey Pop back back in, or sorry, last year we're in the new year now. But yeah, yeah. in January 2022, I watched you know Monterey Pop, and then it just kind of became a a, th- a thread throughout the year. Yeah, so That's it's been great. fun. Yeah, um, but yeah, but thank you for thank you for joining me. Uh, thank you all for listening. Hope to listen to more episodes soon. Bye.